Hello and welcome to Pod Sequentialism. I am your host, Matt Kennedy. Of course, Pod Sequentialism is an outgrowth of the pop sequentialism, traveling art exhibitions of comic book art and the catalog available through La Luz de Jesus Books and Last Gasp Press. I think I have that backwards, actually. I think it's actually Last Gasp Books and La Luz de Jesus Press. But uh, you can also get them directly from me at popsequentialism.com. And uh, I also encourage you to send any correspondences or feedback about this podcast and other things that you're into that you would like to see us discuss to the info at popsequentialism.com email. We are also brought to you by Gallery 30 South in Pasadena, which is a new gallery experience pushing the envelope of what is maybe classically considered to be uh, fine art. And uh, we're doing so with installations and sometimes video and performance art and some occasional illustration work. And um, it's also an atelier space for uh, my wife's jewelry. My wife is, of course, Adnohia, and you can follow her at A-D-N-O-N. H-I-A, uh, all across the social medias. You can follow Gallery 30 South at, at Gallery 30 South. And, uh, of course, you can also come and visit me at La Luz de Jesus Gallery inside the Wacko and Soap Plant Superstore in Los Feliz on Hollywood Boulevard, which is, of course, the pop culture capital of North America and probably the world. Uh, first opened in the early 70s as a local sort of scent and incense shop by Billy Shire and his mother and family. And it quickly developed into a kind of catch-all for kitsch and pop culture. And now it has, of course, for the last 31 years, included a gallery um, element. And I am the director there. So um, we do a lot of really interesting illustrative shows. It's where we actually debuted the Pop Sequentialism art show. It's where the pop surrealist movement was born, as was the lowbrow movement and the gallery that um, brought to prominence people like Robert Williams and Mark Ryden and um, Joe Coleman and some of the biggest names that you'll read about in Juxtapose and in High Fructose magazines. So as we record this, I thought it might be nice to, to revisit a subject that we had discussed briefly on the last interview with Dr. DNA. And we had broken up his last appearance here into a couple of episodes. And so by the time this airs, you will have listened to his his conversation with me about weight loss and um, different elements that are consistent across the species, meaning not just human beings, but animals, and how there are similarities in the way that we digest and process food, and how it should be an easier way, of course, easy is subjective, but a a basic way for uh, weight loss to occur. And I want to let everybody know that I too have um, been on a, a new sort of lifestyle eating program and I've had pretty pretty good results. So for the past 23 days, I have been consuming only four ounces of protein, four ounces of vegetables, and four ounces of fruit twice a day and uh, drinking a lot of water. And it has resulted in, at this point, about a 17-pound weight loss. And I will be continuing this program for 62 to 63 days. I did it to reset my metabolism and also to reset my digestive system. And at the front of this had gone through a um, experimental trial with some all natural enzymes. And it was, um, it was sort of unbelievable. And I, I, I don't want to discuss it too much because um, I'm not sure how much of this technology is proprietary, but I am relatively convinced that portion control 
and stability have played a really big factor in the ability to lose weight. And I also want to stress this. I have not been doing any exercise at all. And I wanted to be able to have a control where you'd be able to point to something and say, it's definitely this and not this other thing. And of course, if the lifestyle change had begun as I enter into this two-month test, uh, had included a component of exercise and weight training, then it would be really difficult to ascertain if it was just the diet itself that had helped. Now, one thing that we had talked about with Dr. DNA is that when you examine activity, and, and by activity we can stretch this out, we can say not activity and that you're leading an active lifestyle, but how you are actively controlling your own body. So the amount of food that you eat, when you eat, how often you sleep, when you wake up in the morning, all of these things. And it's important that in putting together any kind of regimen that you understand two principles. One is that a lot of uh, diet and sort of weight loss programs are connected to one of two things. And we discussed this on that last show. One school of thought is that sugar is bad, and the other school of thought is that fat is bad. And so what we do generally when we go on these kinds of diets, and it doesn't matter, and I'm not going to single anybody out, but certainly if you were to go to Weight Watchers or to Jenny Craig or any of those other sort of um, programmed weight loss systems, that they are prescribing proprietary foods, most of which are processed. Uh, several um, will include them coming out of your ref- your refrigerator or freezer and going into a microwave. And I think that if that is your plan and it's working for you, that's fantastic. But I think the risk of bounce back is great in those programs because it's processed food. And what we have been learning pretty rapidly in weight loss science is, and as we start to push a little bit towards more of a paleo diet, and we're seeing some pretty good results with that, and we're seeing some pretty good results in longevity with that, there are other factors that are going to enter into your ability to control your weight. And one of those things is going to be the relative humidity where you live. One of those things is going to be the overall temperature. And the other thing is going to be the elevation. So if you live in a high elevation area, you may require a different proportion of the variety of food because you need to insulate because it's going to be cooler. It's going to be colder weather if you're at a higher elevation. And the reverse would be true if you're in a desert climate. What we're seeing lately, and you may have seen this on Vice, is that there is a tremendous problem with obesity in Arab nations now because fast food has become a meeting place, not just a a place where people are going to eat occasionally, but the epidemic has been that places like Pizza Hut are sending three deliveries to the same address a day. And other places like Kentucky Fried Chicken, McDonald's, Carl's Jr., Hardee's, Taco Bell, and especially Taco Bell, who have had their biggest boom in expansion in business ever in the Arab Emirates and in the continent of Africa. And it's because families and friends use the restaurants as sort of like the way that coffee shops were used in the 1960s and in the 1990s here in the United States as a meeting place. And there's also a certain status connected to it that you are 
you you are doing well enough that you can eat out. And even though it's inexpensive food, it's sort of a a challenge to the traditional system that that fast food was not a part of Arab culture ever. And so the fact that this is now happening is something they're completely ill-equipped to deal with. And so diabetes and a lot of other um, heart disease, you know, things connected to weight are starting to exponentially expand in these areas. What you have to understand is that as America has been getting healthier, and maybe that's a stretch, but as we've been getting more health conscious, uh, there has been a backlash against certain types of foods and the business at fast food chains has been declining steadily since the early 1990s as we've become aware of the effects of too much fat in the diet, too much sugar in the diet, too much salt, too much sodium, that type of stuff. And so in order for these businesses to succeed, they've done kind of what the tobacco industry did in the 1970s, which is to look for other areas of the world to exploit where the laws are different and where they can find a new demographic inexpensively. And what we're finding is that the overhead, even though, say, minimum wage is much higher in the Arab Emirates than it is in the United States, the return on investment is exponentially better. And so they're making more money in Africa than they can make in the United States, irrespective of the cost of their materials. And that's important. That's an important thing to consider. Uh, India is also experiencing a tremendous invasion of American and Western fast food restaurants, which is interesting because, of course, you know, you can't serve beef uh, in India, but they're making their foods with different materials and they're not healthier and they're having a, a dramatic and detrimental impact to the population, much the way that the tobacco industry has lowered the life expectancy in the Philippines by several years because there is no age limit on tobacco products in the Philippines. And there are, while there are laws about how close a, a tobacco shop can be to a school, it's really not regulated. And we're finding that sixth graders and fifth graders are buying tobacco products in the Philippines. And it's, it's really a travesty and it's terrible. Now, in most parts of the world... If you go into Australia to buy a pack of cigarettes, not only is it going to be about $20 a pack, there's going to be a photograph of a damaged lung or gum disease, you know, on the outside of the packet. And of course, people who smoke just pull that piece of paper out and they stick the pack of cigarettes in their pocket. But it still does have a certain amount of dissuading uh, value to it in that if you were not necessarily someone who was going to smoke and you looked at something on the shelf and it had a disgusting photograph of what it was going to do to your body, you might think twice about buying it. And that's been pushed for in the United States and the tobacco lobby has fought it. Now, what we're seeing in the fast food market is a very similar thing. There's been a huge pushback against what can be advertised as a bad product. Um, What can be stated irrevocably as being unhealthy. And one thing we've seen in this current administration has been a rollback on, and it was an executive order passed by President Trump this past week about what constitutes a healthy lunch in schools. So the school lunch programs are now going to be held to a much weaker federal mandate than that which was put in place under the Obama administration and which had come under fire in the Obama administration for not going far enough. That ketchup was counting as a vegetable. 
and and things of that nature. You know, the, the stretch of possibility. And I don't think anybody's going to argue that, that ketchup is a healthy product and that it would really count as a vegetable, even though it is derived predominantly from vegetables. It has also got a high concentration of sugar and other additives and preservatives. So the reason I bring these up is that when thinking about a lifestyle change, you have to change your lifestyle. So a diet, as we generally understand it, has been something or has become something since the 1960s and and the explosion of the fad diet of something you do for a little while to lose weight and then you stop. And I think that what you have to start thinking about in terms of weight loss and health is how severe you need to limit what you consume for the distance of time to reach a specific goal with a backup plan of how to regulate from that point forward so that if you've decided to dedicate as I have two months to a specific lifestyle change, what happens at the end of that two months and how do you then initiate a a rollback where you can allow in certain other things? And I think for me, what that's going to entail is I will add in a few other foods that I haven't been eating occasionally. Uh, clearly, I've not been able to consume alcohol w- while I'm on this. And um, I do enjoy wine. I do enjoy a beer occasionally. Um, and I, you know, socially, I, I want I, I want to be able to be in a position where I can toast somebody and, and for it not to be rude. I know that there are people who, for reasons of addiction and, and other issues, cannot do that. And I consider myself fortunate that I am able to. And I would never denigrate anybody else for making a decision not to do those things. But I do understand the social pressure on people to match like with like. And so if you go out to eat, you can't just sit there and not eat something. You have to order something. Um, you know, if you do go out to drink with people, then you. I hope that the crowd that you're hanging with is cool enough to not pester you if you just order a, a soda water with lime. But there are certain social constructs that make diet difficult. And especially in California, where the entertainment industry and in my industry of the arts are so connected to, you know, the quote unquote doing lunch, that most meetings take place over a meal. And it's arbitrary and it's usually expensive and it's usually not the best thing for you. So that these little hurdles can become a problem. And what I'm going to endeavor to do is to be able to schedule when I have meetings, if it's going to be a meeting where I'm eating, that I know exactly what I'm eating and what time I'm going to schedule that meeting so that it fits into this pattern of food consumption and regulation that I've already established. And I think that you know, there's there's a, I can't remember the comedian, but there was a really a really great routine about him going to his doctor and his doctor saying, you know, well, he, you know, he's not feeling well. And he says, what should I do, doc? He's like, well, what you're going to do is you're going to start taking, you know, these, these fiber pills. And he says to the doctor, well, for how long is it? Like, no, no, you're just taking fiber pills for the rest of your life, basically. That at certain points in your life, you do have to adjust and you have to make a, a physical consumption change. And, you know, I'll be 46 this year. And want to be around a lot longer and realize that there is a great possibility for health problems if I don't keep certain things in check. And while I'm not the 
I'm not able to dedicate uh, a lot of time to exercise in my current schedule. I want to be able to have regulated out the rest of my schedule so that when I do decide to put an exercise element into this, it will encompass that additional food that I'll be eating, the additional types of food that I'll be eating, and I won't have to worry about a severe bounce back. I also think that the distance, you know, the length of time that you you commit to an experiment like this is going to have an effect in that I don't think I would be able to, and I, I, I clearly hope that I don't want to, I'll resort to binge eating again in that I don't find myself, because I'm now off this diet on day one, stuffing my face with absolutely everything and, and anything, that the size of my, my stomach will have shrunk because I'll have dedicated uh, two months to eating um, very portion-controlled amounts of food. And so I, I wanted to um, bring on to the show our engineer Mason, and and he can kind of um, vouch to a, a little bit of, of what this has been. I had um, made it known uh, when we had Dr. DNA that I was going to attempt to do a kind of weight loss experiment. And it also feeds into digestive issues that I've had for a very, very long time. And my body was not absorbing nutrition the way that it should. And so I would sometimes have to overeat in order to absorb any nutrition and um, had to go and get tested for a couple of, of very serious illnesses to annex those to make sure that that wasn't what was happening. And so deciding upon a, a metabolic reset and um, taking some enzymes to help with that has been an important part of this. But I don't think that those are the major elements of this transformation. And so you remember we had, how long ago was it that we had Dr. DNA in here? About a month. About right? a month, yeah. So I'm I'm about twenty three or twenty four days into the into the trial and it will it'll end mid June. Yeah, and I gotta say visually it's uh stunning the amount of weight that you've lost in uh, a relatively short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very impressed. I wanna hear more about this <laughs> four ounce, four ounce deal. Yeah, so it you like I say, you're 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 basically consuming twelve ounces of food twice a day and in between you can have pretty much as much water rich food as you want uh, vegetables so you can have cucumbers so I snack on cucumbers occasionally if I get really hungry you can also have tomatoes so I, I will sometimes go over the four ounces in eating you know heirloom you know real not um, you know G food tomatoes but these are uh, vegetables that are water rich. Well, tomatoes are fruit, but these yeah. are these are vegetables relatively. So you wouldn't say eat an orange, perhaps. Is that too sugary? Well, no, I can. I, with with the fruit part of the intake, with the four ounces of fruit, it can be anything except avocado. Avocado is not on the diet plan. Interesting. N- not eating legumes, so not eating beans. You can eat himaika, which is technically part of the bean family. Himaika. Himaika. Right. And, uh, you know, which a vegetable with the consistency of um, like, of an apple, really. Yeah, an apple. And um, I've had some really good results with jicama uh, in having that be my vegetable portion of, of what, I'm, what I'm going to eat that day. And oh, it's not a starch? It is, it is a starch, but this isn't an anti-starch diet. I, we, we don't eat potatoes. 
so there's no potatoes on it, which was really rough for me. Yeah. You know, grew up Irish Catholic, and yeah, we eat we eat potatoes. It's, right. it's, it's a big thing. You know, what's the Irish seven-course pa- seven meal, a six-pack, and a potato? Right. But um, you know okay. that there's a few other things. What are the other things we don't? You can have berries. You can have citrus. What about carbs? Pasta? No pasta. No oh, breads. That's a rough deal. It can be rough. So when you're trying to bring that stuff back in, it's going to be a real experiment. You know, my wife is Japanese. We do eat ramen. And, and so, and you know, she, she eats rice. Now, when I eat sushi, I, I often, yeah, I'll have a little bit of rice that, that comes with the sashimi, but I'll, I'm just as fine with just eating the fish and not having the rice. Sure. I don't eat rolls, really. Uh, One thing that we've been looking into uh, as a substitute for that, I've been using cauliflower. So I make a powder almost out of the cauliflower. Like I grind it up with a cheese grater. When they're when it's dry. Yeah, when it's fresh and dry. And you can spice it. You can't consume oil. So I can't cook in oil. What do you cook in? I cook in wine. Interesting. Or water. That's cool. And it's because the all the bad stuff is going to evaporate out of the out of the alcohol anyways. Mm-hmm. Um you can use vinegar. So um I eat pickles. I eat pickles a lot. Sure. It's become a lot of what my vegetable is. Well, that's very water-based. Yeah. Yes. It's a cucumber. Yes. Now that you want to up your intake of water if you're eating a lot of pickles because the vinegar is going to pull moisture out. Right, the sodium. So I've been recommended to consume a gallon of water a day with my weight. You are, that's interesting. You're not the first person I've heard of that. There's a YouTube movement that I've been tuned into lately, basically, where people are like, I'm upping my water intake to a gallon a day. Yeah. And it takes a while to get there. But yeah. once they do, uh, they all laud the benefits. Yeah, the first couple of days were difficult for the um, the, the intake and the intake of water. Where I just realized I wasn't drinking enough water. And so what you'll notice when you are, and you want to be very conscious of overhydration. Overhydration can kill you. This is a thing that runners run into as well. Yes. And so that's less likely for me to happen because I'm not matching it with carb. Okay. So overhydration can generally happens when people are consuming a lot of food because they're preparing for a run and then they drink and drink and drink and they drown themselves. They literally drown themselves walking. Yes, I believe it's called dry drowning. Yeah. It, it thins the blood. It, it causes major, major health problems. It, has, it can have the same effect that mercury poisoning can have on the body, but it, it's really fast and it can, it can get, cause you cardiac arrest. Mm. So I, I, you know, I would recommend anybody who is going to embark on this type of experiment, consult a physician first and make sure you're in good enough... Uh, physical condition to be able to attempt something like this. But the the great thing for me, I'm really good at following directions. Okay. You know, like I'm 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 expert at it. I, I like a regimen. I like to be able to say I'm gonna do this and then I'm gonna do this. And then like anybody, you know, you wanna be aware of the the routine. You know, you don't want to get too bored. You don't want to eat the same thing all the time. So mm-hmm. I go and I order, I, I've, I go to even Ralph's, which is kind of a, a major grocery store chain here in California. Now, I understand because I grew up in Boston that the availability of actually fresh and good food isn't as good other places as it is in California. We're really quite spoiled for our ability to get fresh vegetables, to get good quality meat, good cuts of meat. I would say that's true. When I go back home to D.C., when I go to the grocery store, 
to buy the same type of things that I buy out here, mm-hmm. it's usually a third more expensive. Really? Yeah. And and because well, the availability, yeah, I can I can imagine that yeah. for sure. And of course, we do have local cows, yeah. so um, we're not um, trucking in as much meat. I would imagine, you know, how, how far is, is cow country over there? Probably not too far. Yeah, they got some stuff in Maryland, but yeah, yeah, because yeah, dairy is a big dairy industry in Maryland. It's pretty big. So the the important fact for me and what I what I consider to be an important element of choice of food and nutrition is going to be that you don't want frozen vegetables you don't want you definitely don't want canned vegetables if you have availability to something fresh i was going to say that i agree with you about the canned vegetables primarily because of the sodium of course but Mm -hmm. all everything i've ever read said that if you can't get fresh vegetables then you can do frozen frozen is okay yeah if you do have availability for fresh go for the fresh if you, I'm not going to get into a whole GMO debate because I don't think there honestly is enough science about how that affects the body for us to really know. And that's part of the problem is that if you want to wait until that information is out there, you should be able to know and, and it should say on packaging, which that law was shot down, but it should you should be able to know what you're consuming. And we don't currently know everywhere what we're consuming and you can make that choice. In California, we do have a very large organic section. I also understand that organic is a brand name. It is a buzzword. And there are certain conditions that would perhaps make it better than your standard, pardon the pun, garden variety vegetables. But that if you are aware of the farms that your food is coming from, then that's fine. It, you know, it doesn't have to be certified organic. Maybe that farm didn't want to pay for the certification. As long as you know what's going in the water, what's going in the soil, you know, you can research that stuff. You can find out. You can even ask. I mean, you can see basically in the crates in your in your grocery store where they're getting their their stuff from. Usually, the stickers are on it. I mean, I, I would hope what you say is correct. The uh, thing that I've heard is a term called green greenwashing. Have you heard of that? It's basically where they pay for the organic certification and kind of slap it on, but it's... It's not really any different. It's the same thing. <sighs> yeah, but the price goes up. Yeah, exponentially. It's got the it's got the green sticker on it. And I'll say this, you know, I, I was a huge supporter of Whole Foods and we don't shop there as much because, you know, there's a reason it has the nickname Whole Paycheck. It's very expensive. And now that Ralph's and Vaughn's and Pavilions have gotten into the organics game, the prices come down on organic fruits and vegetables because it's not a specialty market. It's It's expanding. Now, that's good. And I think that one other thing that you want to be aware of is eggs. And eggs are not a dirty word. Eggs are not terrible for you. You shouldn't probably eat 12 of them in a day. But that it is a source of protein. What you want to be aware of is that you're consuming eggs that don't have a lot of hormones injected, any hormones injected in them if possible. You want to hopefully find eggs that are on a vegetarian diet. Although, if you've got true free-range chickens... What do they eat? They eat bugs. They eat worms. That's fine. That's good. You want to hopefully find eggs that they're not eat, they're not feeding soy to them. But there's there's really almost no way to know. But you want to make sure that the one thing that can create bad hormones in an egg is mistreatment of the animal. And we we've seen that across. Why is Kobe beef so expensive in Japan? Because those cows are treated better than you are. Yeah, I believe they get personal massages. They get personal massages. They're milk and beer fed. Yeah, they're, they're living the life of Riley until they are 
killed for their meat. So good. But the the important factor why that that meat is better is because stress causes a hormone to enter into the meat system, which can then be passed on in very, very small genetic information into you when you eat it, which can cause you stress. That sounds very new agey, but there's a lot of of scientific data on this. Um, if you can avoid that stuff and it doesn't cost you a fortune to do so, then I would recommend it. You know, if, if the, the conditions for the animal are better than the, the value to your body of that meat, if you choose to consume meat products, is good. I am of the opinion that you need a certain degree of real meat protein. And there's going to be a lot of vegetarians who are going to argue with me, and I'm probably going to get a lot of emails about it. And I understand ethically deciding not to eat animals. But a healthy human body type is almost never a vegetarian body type. And it's the, the way that you consume your protein goes into your muscle tissue quite differently, as does your consumption of B-complex vitamins. If you get them artificially or through red meat, it's very different. We know that you know, what changed us from Neanderthal into human being was the consumption of, of meat or from the pre, pre-Neanderthal. I can't disagree with that point. I will, however, take the lead on the vegetarian uh, onslaught that's going to come to you and say that most of the vegetarians I know out here, especially in mm-hmm. L.A., are one wonderfully gorgeous physical specimens. So when you sure that thin and, and that, pretty, that goes for both male and female. And right. ripped, they don't live long. They don't live as long. Well, isn't that interesting? I mean, I can't. I don't know. I don't that, know there, there's data. True. There is data that um, vegetarians do not live as long. <laughs> no, I don't know. In, That's crazy. In the United States, okay. Um, if you go to Asian countries, it is in step with the Asian population. And Do you think that's because of what's in our soil? I think it's because of the spirituality that is a part of the Asian diet in Asia versus the mentality of people who are not in that mindset, that it is extremely offset. Let's say a, a Japanese businessman who is eating steak is also working 12 hours a day, smoking cigarettes, consuming a ton of alcohol, and that's going to skew your percentage of the Zen Buddhist who does not eat meat, who has a mainly vegetarian diet. Now, there's a lot to be said for, you know, the the paleo diet of eat food, real food, um, not too much. Yeah, um, whole foods. Mainly vegetables. Right. Well, in this... Leafy greens. Sure. In this three-platform diet, of course, one-third of the diet is meat, so it is less than half. It is mostly vegetables in so, that it is four ounces of vegetable, four ounces of fruit, four ounces of meat protein. All of that twice a day. Twice a day. And so for the snacking, if, you, if you're absolutely, you know, have to have something in the middle and you can consume your celery, you can consume your tomatoes, you can consume your cucumbers, um, you can also, if absolutely needed, an apple. Why an apple? It's starchy. And what about, and it's got sugar. It's got a little sugar, so it can give you a little bit more energy. And, and depending upon your weight, you may want to adjust that. Like I, I started this at about 180, 81 pounds, and I'm only like 5'5 five, five on a good day. Mm. So my fat index was high. One other thing that we've been measuring is my waistline, my chest line, and that has been going down much higher than what you would necessarily assume from a 16 or 17 pound weight loss. But understand too that I'm not putting on muscle. 
I was going to say, it sounds like you're burning muscle. And, um, and of course, you can't burn muscle. Uh, it sounds like you're at- atrophying. Yeah. So the, um, I've, I've decided to add in a certain amount of light hand weight just to keep my arms in a certain shape so that when the weight goes away and as I start to tighten up again, that um, it will be a more homogenous weight loss. And I'll also speak, I was going to have Bob Self, the publisher at uh, Baby Tattooville, Baby Tattoo Publishing on. He lost hundreds of pounds through portion control. And he was consuming under, I think it was under 1,200 calories a day. Well, that'll do it. (laughs) He was six feet tall or close to six feet tall. He was also close to probably four and a half feet wide. Well, that's uh, that's what Dr. DNA was talking about, right? Yeah. That you can basically take a multivitamin and not eat and lose lose tons of weight. I believe Jared of Subway fame famously lost uh, tons of weight. When his fame was of Subway fame. Right, exactly. And not of child pornography <laughs> hey, fame. Hey, we didn't know about that one. And yeah, but, portion control was a big part of it. Yeah, and I think he, if he hadn't been eating sandwich bread, it would have been even more dramatic. But he only ate, uh, what was it, three three six inch subs a day yeah as opposed to whatever his typical diet was for yeah. a 400 pound man yeah and he lost tremendous and so that you know portion control is going to be a huge part of it uh, also uh someone else the lead singer fallout boy patrick stump he had a very dramatic weight loss and it was also very connected to portion control and then diet and exercise and um it's easier actually for a touring musician to maintain a weight loss if you are in a high energy band you know you're burning more calories you're burning more calories and if you're not replenishing those calories with empty alcohol calories then someone can go on tour and come back and it looks like they lost half their body fat and maybe they did if they're not you know eating really crappy food if they're not eating um and they're not consuming a ton of alcohol. They're probably not sleeping much either. There's that. And then that can be a bad thing. And then that, that that can skew your metabolism into not knowing when to digest and when not to digest and what to hold and what not to well, hold. Well, that's a and, good uh, point. So on your diet, you've, you've loosely touched on this, but are there exact times that you're intaking? Exact. So I wake up and I take a vitamin at... Seven o'clock in the morning. A multivitamin. It's a, a it's a special cocktail vitamin. Okay. And is this available to the public? Not yet. Okay. The. But you don't think that's. I don't. I I honestly think it's more of a placebo than anything okay. else. I think okay. that it, it is. It's aided my digestion. But if you're not starting with a digestive problem, then right. you wouldn't need that. And I think that the rest of it works. Okay. The um I, I have that every day at seven o'clock, so I can't have any water or food within fifteen minutes either before or after taking any of the vitamins, which is what you would want to do anyways with medicine, say. And I eat at eleven o'clock in the morning. Well wait, question. Does that mean you don't do you when you take the vitamin, do you dry swallow it? Yes, it's drops. Oh okay. it's a liquid drop. Okay. So So w- would it be okay to take a swig of water with a pill? I'm, yeah, I would imagine. Okay. Like I say, if um, if it's not the, the specific problem that I, I had. I understand. Yeah. I'm just trying to clarify. Okay. Which is good. It's good to do. Yeah. So I eat at 11 o'clock, and then I have my second vitamin at 2, and then I have my last meal at 7 p.m. Okay. So at 11 o'clock, it's 12 ounces, and mm-hmm. then vitamin uh, yep. at 2, and then at 7, another 12 ounces. Yeah. And that's it. And if I get super hungry in between, I'll have a couple of small Persian cucumbers. Or something, and I drink a ton of water. Okay. So, but and you drink tea. 
Yep, can drink tea, can drink coffee. Okay. Um, you don't want to overload in the coffee, obviously. You want to probably keep your schedule to a reasonable schedule. If, if you're waking up every morning at 7 o'clock, you probably want to be in bed by 11.30 at night. You know, and you want to try and regulate that as much as you can. And I know not, I know not everybody has a job that makes that possible. I was going to say, my uh, the way I live my life, I currently probably go to bed at like 3 a.m. If you go to bed at 3 a.m., you should wake up later. I wake up at, say, 10, but, you know. That's, that's a midnight to, to 7. Yeah. That's not so bad. I'll tell you one thing, though. I, hit, I get cravings uh, between midnight and 3 a.m. hard. Oh, yeah. And it's very, very difficult. Your body is very much photosynthetic. Right. You know, you are being taught how to digest and when to eat by the sun. <laughs> you know, this gigantic thing that everything revolves around. And so that's going to play a major factor into how you can't necessarily adjust things. When people have sleeping disorders where they cannot sleep at night, they usually die four years ahead of schedule. Wow. And it's, and sometimes more. That you you need to have a certain amount of sun nutrition. Like I'm the palest guy in the world, but I'm still hit by the sun. You know when you're supposed to be hit by the sun at least in the morning and as as the day starts to end. It's also you know if you work in an office building and you can, you want to make sure that you're at least walking over to the windows where the sun can come in and hit you directly <laughs> occasionally. Sure. If you can't make it out of the building, I know people who might be listening in New York City maybe on the 80th floor of a building they can't exactly take the elevator down and out. That's that's an hour. But, um, you know, you do want to have some contact and some visual contact with that light source that gives all of us, you know, life. And I feel very strongly that my ability to maintain the, the weight loss is going to be affected by the psychology that I'm going through every day of doing everything at the same time. And sometimes it's not exact. So maybe sometimes I eat at 11.30, not 11, which means I'll try and push that, that last meal up half an hour as well. Uh, sometimes I'll eat a little bit earlier because I know I have to get in a car or something and go do something. So I will, I will customize it a little bit, but not too much. You know, I'm, I'm looking at a, a 40 minute window either way around the appointed time. In general, are you hit with any sugar or carb cravings? Because when I've done Atkins, which this kind of sounds like, um, you know, usually I'll get hit hard with like, I really want bread or you know, I just want a marshmallow or something. Well, I'll tell you, the, the first two days before I, had, I headed straight into this, I was told to consume 5,000 calories a day That's of right, you were just junk food. You were melting ice cream pints or something yeah i was i was crapping uh you know the 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 birthday cake shake at yeah. the counter you yeah, know, which yeah. is a, a chain burger restaurant and it's a 1200 calorie uh, uh milkshake uh drinking two of them at a time and feeling like i was going to die sure that um that that really did take care of a lot of my sugar craving and i love chocolate and i love ice cream so is this kind of the uh, oh you're you're trying a cigarette smoke the whole pack? Yeah, exactly. That's what I, I think that it that it helped with, and it also with with the vitamin cocktail that I was taking. It was it was bonding with the terrible stuff to show my body what it's supposed to digest and what it isn't. And so I, I think that had the added effect. But I would I would recommend that other people try this too because I think it does do that thing that you know that you're if you're of a certain age and your father caught you smoking cigarettes at the age of twelve, he might lock you in a closet with a 
a carton of cigarettes right. and say you're not coming out until you finish smoking that carton, usually by 10 cigarettes in, you're green and you want to throw up and you'll never smoke cigarettes again, at least in theory. Right. So the um, whatever that amount of early lung damage does, we won't address and we won't condone that as a parenting maneuver. But I think that that shock to the system of an overabundance does help in containing it along the line. That said, I'm not even halfway through. I'm close to halfway through. And that's going to be a consideration. Do you have any cravings or no? I do get hungry occasionally. and so. But for junk food? Not really for junk food. And I watch TV and there's ads and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, or you're online and you see you see somebody eating something that you know you can't eat and you go like, ah. Oh. That's usually where it gets me. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a foodie. I'm yeah. a huge food fan. As am I, yeah. And um, I'll, watch, I'll watch a YouTuber or a food network show mm-hmm. and I'll be doing fine. And all of a sudden I'll see what they're making and I'm like, oh, I want that. And then it, and then it gets hard. Yeah. It's very, very difficult. So, I mean, be aware of your limitations that if you're betting the farm on the success of a program that isn't working for you, it's not going to work. So you have to learn how to customize. I think that I was really, it was really important to me to get a specific result. Mm -hmm. And so I'm obeying the rules that are going to get me that result. When I get to the end of this test, then I will know what is going to be the easiest for maintenance coming out of it. And that's a really important thing. People, the danger of the short-term goal is that it has a short-term solution. Right. You know, that it only lasts for a certain amount of time. That it, We're really, and I can't stress this enough, talking about lifestyle change. That one thing we had, we were at some point, I believe, going to talk to Dr. DNA about is cancer research. And there is no pill. There is no medication that cures cancer. There, there's, there's treatments that work. And they're not the treatments that you're probably aware of. It's not hitting your body with a ton of heavy metals that kill the cancer that kills everything else. It's not chemotherapy. It's not radiation. It's other stuff. And it involves a complete lifestyle change that you can't continue eating a pound of bacon every day and expect to survive the way that you would have survived after going through a treatment regimen that's probably a year and a half that you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days, but at least you're not killing your healthy cells when you do it. And this research is going to start to hit the light of day in a number of different places. I know that if anybody's familiar, uh, there's a lot of Israeli research on breast cancer that's that's starting to hit the major um, science publications. I know that I've seen uh, a ton of anecdotal evidence recently about alkaline water. Yeah. But I don't know if that's, I don't know how much credence I can give to it. Fluoride's not particularly good for you and we we put it in our water i've noticed this that when i switched from regular fluoride water to the alkaline water i got more cavities sure i can i can believe that you know and and um and that was you you want to die with as many of your teeth as possible folks i'll tell you that (laughs) that there's a lot of research about you know healthy teeth and longevity but uh without hammering this home too much I'll keep you guys up to date in future shows. I'm not going to talk about it every episode, but I will give updates and and may also do on on the the Pod Sequentialism Facebook page and, and might I've been really bad about posting stuff on Instagram and on Twitter. I'm going to try and correct that. I'm also going to start posting some more links directly to some of the previous shows, which I haven't been promoting as actively as I perhaps should. But I'll give you some updates so that you'll know in real time how it's working for me. When I finish the trial, I am going to add 
exercise back into my life. And I know that's going to have a a body type transformational effect that instead of it just being weight loss, we have to bear in mind muscle weighs more than fat. The things that you want to be aware of in a weight loss program and to the best of your ability, measure your chest, measure your, your hips, measure your waist. If you have other areas that you're interested in, if it's your thighs, measure your thighs. See how as you lose weight, you're not just losing weight, you're losing body mass. And if you have a scale that can tell you the percentage of fat in your body mass, that's really helpful too because you want to get down to a healthy ratio of your body fat percentage. And a lot of people in the United States and a lot of people who are now facing obesity have an index above 30, and that's, that's not healthy. It's, it's considered unhealthy, and above 40 is considered obese, obese. Um, and morbidly obese. So if you can get your percentages down, you're going to feel better. And the other sort of catch-22 about weight loss and about muscle mass is if you have more muscle mass, you are able to burn more fat. Yes, I believe if you're actually fit and a little built, you you burn 500 calories at rest. Yeah. Which is mind-blowing when you start thinking about you're on a 2,000-calorie diet typically. So. Yeah. That's a, that's a quarter that you don't have to worry about. Yeah, that, that's just going away because your body works right. Right. That your circulation's where it needs to be, that there's enough muscle. Muscle heats up. It's what contributes to body temperature is the circulation around muscle. And so um, if that heats the fat, that can make your body temperature even higher, which is why uh, obese people are generally much warmer in a, in a room temperature setting than someone who is not obese. And it's... That effect, that sweat is going to help in that it's the way the body's way of programming them to cool off, number one, but also to melt a little bit of that fat to try and get to a healthier state. So I understand that there's, there's a lot of metabolic issues, you know, for a lot of people. I know that uh, for, for years there has been a stereotype of comic fans or people interested in nerd culture as being overweight or being unhealthy. And I know that that, that is starting to change. I don't think it's a thing of shame and I don't think anybody should be, should feel shamed by a body, body type that doesn't necessarily fit congruently with the rest of the society. And if you if you feel good about yourself, that's fabulous. But from a health point of view, from a longevity point of view, you will live longer if you are more fit. And it doesn't mean you have to look like you know, name that person, you know, in a few years ago, the example would have been Brad Pitt and, you know, the, the other example or Schwarzenegger. Sure. Tom Cruise, maybe who's an incredible shape for, for someone who's in his fifties. But you know, that, I, I don't know how much of that is real. <laughs> I, I will, I will agree with you about Brad Pitt though. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's important that you try and keep a healthy balance and that you want to keep a happy life. And if it's torturing you, to to try and get a little bit healthier you need to find a balance if you want to live a long life you you do have to get a little bit more healthier and i can say that after having had dr dna on the show and having and listening to him discuss these specific issues that it has worked it has absolutely completely worked but you do have to understand we are not doctors here mason and i i'm not oh, no. giving medical advice i'm not giving a guarantee I am telling you my own personal results from a program that I have 
undertaken that I am in the middle of, and I will keep you posted on it. And if you have any questions, by all means, reach out. You can contact us on Twitter or on Instagram at at podsec, P-O-D-S-E-Q. You can contact us via the Facebook website and our page there, which is at podsequentialism. And you can send us an email at, or me personally, an email at info at popsequentialism.com, which I now get everything. I've, I've been able to um, fix the, the problem that I was having with the website, with the email. So I, I am receiving all the messages at this point. So I hope you've enjoyed this. I, I hope you have questions. I hope you'll reach out and we'll, we'll keep you up to date as things uh, progress. So once again, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Pod Sequentialism. I'm your host, Matt Kennedy. Uh, you've been listening to Mason and I talk about the effects of implementing a lifestyle change. Hello, this is Matt Kennedy from Pod Sequentialism. And um, what many, many of you may know that I, I do run a gallery in Los Angeles called La Luz de Jesus Gallery. And what you may not know is that it's inside Wacko, which is probably the greatest center of pop culture in the world. And it may sound like hyperbole, it's not. Um, you can, if you don't want to trust my judgment, you can listen to people like Kevin Smith, uh, James Gunn, uh, David Mack, um, all of whom will swear that uh, one of their favorite places on earth is uh, Wacko, the shop that houses La Luz de Jesus Gallery. Um, whether it's blind box toys or little tchotchkes or art books, it pretty much is the place that you can get all of your Christmas shopping done for every possible annoying person to buy for that you can imagine. They've got everything, and I highly recommend that you visit them. You can visit them online at soapplant.com. You can visit the gallery at laluzdejesus.com, and that's spelled L-A-L-U-Z-D-E-J-E-S-U-S.com. Check them out and tell them Matt Kennedy sent you.